This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 196 of the Muscles and Management Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe if you have not already. Uh, we are back. Mike is back this week. Welcome, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Great. Yeah. I'm happy to have you back. We, we were building a nice little rhythm. And uh, basically what happened last week is, um, so Mike's schedule is really busy. He, I, he helps me. It's one of like the one million other things that he does. <laughs> uh, and my schedule is also crazy hectic at the facility. So there are weeks where um, we can't find um, a time that works for both of us. But uh, there was also a couple other things. I don't know. I think we had an option. Like I could have recorded with you later, but uh, after a day, I'm not trying to do it that late. <laughs> so we ended. I ended up going. Um, I had an interview. We 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 had the episode with Edwin um, that I actually just I tweeted out today um, that I think you guys would love if you haven't listened to it already. A basic part one, we're calling it, of the ACL. Um, injury kind of topic that a lot of you wanted to hear about. So he was awesome, Edwin, and we had a really good time. Uh, and, you know, obviously I went over some tweets and stuff from the week as well. But if you haven't checked that out, because there's a lot of good stuff when it comes to rehab and, and ACLs and stuff. Uh, Mike, you listened to it. What were your thoughts? That was really good. Um, good for entry level, just people curious with it. And then obviously higher level people, then they can actually use it day to day for their stuff. I thought it was really good. Yeah, that, I mean, that that was going to be my biggest question to you is like, you know, as a person that doesn't have a background in it, what was it, you know, did it make sense? Because that's what I, I try to, you know, make it make sense. I know a lot of the athletes that listen, um, you know, are entry level when it comes to that stuff, or even just like, you know, as a sport coach or a starting out strength coach or whatever, you know, you want to make sure you keep it. So there's like something that you can walk away with and not like just be weighing it over your head. And I think he did a good job of kind of doing that. I agree. Yeah, for sure. So really excited today. Uh, we're going to have Kyle Bodie back on the show uh, and we're going to get him on in, in a little bit. Um, but before we do that, I obviously want to go through uh, the, some tweets and some questions and anything that kind of popped up uh, on social media this week. Um, but really excited to get him on because I've had him on before and he's super fun. And um, we have similar personalities in the kind of the whole like, don't give a fuck type of way. <laughs> um, but no, but obviously as someone that has accomplished as much as he has, if you don't know who he is, uh, he is basically the pioneer and founder of driveline uh, baseball uh, started out, you know, pretty much in like a small rented garage type facility. And, you know, he had a gigantic passion for learning how to help develop pitchers and kind of show that his way could work when a lot of people doubted that it could. And he's grown it into a national, you know, world renowned brand, um, I, I'm going to say 30 off the top of my head because it's got to be at least that many people that have worked there that have been hired by professional baseball organizations to go work for them. Um, it's almost like he has developed like the farm leagues for um, professional baseball coaches in terms of strength conditioning, pitching, uh, whatever it is, b- b- hitting now that they've, they've developed out over the last few years with Jason Ochart, um, who have, we've had on, great guy as well. But they've just built something truly phenomenal. And Kyle was the one who was at the start of it. So um, he's, he, he's done that. He's doing that. We'll talk a little bit about his transitioning role from when he started till now. Um, and also he had spent some time recently with the Cincinnati Reds as their 
and we'll we'll get this from him directly because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm pretty sure he was uh, their director of, or coordinator. Director was one of the two of uh, pitching development for them, and he was there for a little bit. Had some success, but he left, and I'm sure with whatever he's willing to get into and why he did. Uh, one of the topics he mentioned that he wanted to talk about was why it sucked working in pro ball. So <laughs> we'll we'll get his opinions on that. But he holds no punches. He's really really smart, and that's what makes it fun to talk to him. So. Uh, I know I told you about this. You were excited to kind of be involved in the conversation. It's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. It's someone that um, just uh, I, a lot of times I kind of get in this circle of people on Twitter and stuff because of following you and stuff, but he's someone that I've actually personally noticed and followed for a while. So having it be connected is kind of cool. Yeah, no, it, it's it's actually funny. I forget what we were talking about um, on Twitter. Oh, shit. Uh... Oh, you know what it was? My, that tweet, remember I, we talked about it like the last week, it wasn't last week's week before about the whole, like, if you really, really do well with the athletes you currently have. Yeah. Um, like hiding, hiding your secrets essentially. Yeah. And he commented on saying how people like <laughs> still have that mentality sometimes. Yeah. And he put some re- really good contributions to the thread. One of them was a, uh, a quote I could actually read. Hold on. I'll go to my DMS with him. And he, uh, he was like, we should still podcast if you're still hosting. I'm like, uh, fuck yeah, I'll have you on the podcast again. <laughs> uh, like I would have you on every week if you wanted to. Um, here, I got to find where it is because it was a really good quote that I don't think I read at the time of. All right, so let's just get let's get started because I'm going to zoom back and find this. But yeah, um, that was basically how the whole thing came about to get him back on the show. So if you haven't listened to his first episode, this is your cue to go find uh, the first episode that he did because it was really good. And he's one of those people that like when I have a conversation with them, it, like two hours and go by and it feels like five minutes. So you're going to really like this uh, and go check out his previous one if you haven't yet. So anyway, uh, oh, he, he did say he wanted to touch on my rant about Chipotle's lack of filling my bowl. Uh, that I was really pissed about. So. Okay, we'll we'll save that for Kyle then. Yeah, oh. we'll, we'll touch on that. Oh, why did you? Did you jokingly? <laughs> no, no, I I didn't, but I got a kick out of it. I was really, bro. I was I was fired up. I got home. It was late. I like saved big meals for later in the day, and they yep. skimped out on your boy, and they really just they left me hanging. So I was not happy. Um, <laughs> well, if we have some time before he comes on, we could talk about that. So, what do you got for me to start here? Yeah, I have a few tweets. Um, I'll just start with this one. So spoke with a group of high school football players on improving 40 times. Identify weak spots. Below average 10-yard split. Uh, 10-yard sprints, heavy loaded sprints, heavy sled pushes and drags. Get stronger. Below average 20 to 40 yards, flying sprints, longer sprints, light, fast throws, jumps. The reason I put this one in here is just because like, of all the questions you get, um from followers and stuff a lot of times it's on 40s and improving it and stuff so i just thought it'd be cool for you to touch on it yeah no for sure so i basically what happened was uh i connected uh with this guy his name is chad brain uh, he, he's a really great guy and we connected on twitter uh he basically was just like hey i like this stuff you put out it makes sense like i think it's you know helpful this that, the other thing and he was like um i have a you know, I run a combine for football players in the New Jersey area and basically, you know, asked to have me, you know, Hey, for, you know, it'll be great for us to have, but also you can get some business out of it. You know, you could come in and um, warm the guys up and, you know, do a little talk on uh, 
speed and I would, you know, refer people over to you. So a really, really cool gesture. And it was a, it was a great opportunity. So uh, after I warmed them up, he wanted to, you know, have me talk to them and, and give some tips on speed. And I think the biggest thing is that people want to get faster, but they don't identify or have a, like you have to identify what you're struggling with and have to have a plan. Mm-hmm. And I think people go to the plan and they just start throwing a bunch of stuff in there. And it's like, almost equated to if you have a dietary problem, like high cholesterol or um, diabetes or whatever. And like, you need to identify what needs to be changed in your diet so that you can then pick the things, ingredients, the things that you want to make. Right. And I liken that a lot to like, you need to identify what the area is that you need to improve the most in your sprint, because the sprint isn't just all the same. It has portions and it's got, when you're thinking about a 40, it's got an acceleration component which is your start, like first 10, 15 yards. And then it's got a top speed component. And it's like, how can I, with a straight face, go in? If I'm not, if I'm a developmental athlete, I can make the argument that like improving both is going to help me, which is fine. Like we're going to do that. But like, if I'm a higher level high school athlete or into college looking to get better at, um, you know, my 40 going into the combine or whatever it is, like you got to just say, you know, where can I improve and what's going to help me get better? So I run a four, seven, you know, is getting to a four five or a four, six going to come from, an improved start or is it going to come more from, um, you know, my last 20 yards or do I need to work on a a little of both? Well, then that's the case. That's fine. But like what goes into both of those aspects, right? So I think you need to like identify what your, what your areas that you need to improve on and then look and say, okay, well, how do I get those things better? And then you can start to organize your training. So I think that was like the biggest message that I wanted to get across to them was, you know, inquire, okay, I ran a four, seven, like, are there splits? Or if there aren't splits, like I'm going to go run a 10 on my own and get my score and and my time. And, you know, you, there's so much data out there available on the internet to look up and say, okay, like what are, um, you know, a lot of high school kids running in the 10, what's average and what's below average. And, uh, you know, I run a, I run a four, eight, 40 and my, 20 to 40 is really good. And I have a great top speed, but I'm running a one. If like, if you run a four, seven or four, eight in the Mm -hmm. 40 and you're running like a one, nine something in your 10, like that's probably an indication. Like I need to work on that because that's honestly pretty high for running that, you know, that great of a time, like a four, seven, four, eight is a high school athlete. It's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Very solid. If you, especially if like, you know, that you're not the upper echelon, like there are kids that might run, you know, a four, six or a four, five in high school, but it's not as common as people like to think because everyone and their mother out there thinks they run a four, five and it's just not the right. case. Um, and, or like if you're running a one, seven or a one, if you're running a, I'd say you're running a one, six, 10 yard sprint, right. Which is very, very good. It's above average. You're running a one, six as a high schooler and you're running a four, nine, 40, then you're struggling with something in top speed. Sure. Like something's not there. And you could look at that or you could just get video. Like I, I can literally, I had, so at this uh, showcase, um, it just so happened that one of the athletes that I've worked with for the last few years ended up being there. I didn't know he was going to be there and he ran his 40 and I just took a video cause I was curious what he looked like. And he ran a four, six, seven as a you know sophomore going into junior high school, which is very good. Um, and his, his 10 was awful. Like his, his mechanics were just not there. And, um, I'm not like sitting here degrading myself because I haven't worked with him in like three months because he's been really busy um, with the lifting at school. So I can, I can say that and not be critiquing myself as much. Um, But he hadn't been doing them as much lately. And his 10, just his mechanics were not great. Like he was very hunched over restricting himself and he just got made up all of the time in his 
in his last 15 to 20 yards. So I was like, dude, you got to just get your 10 better. And that's going to be, you know, what helps you out. So just identify your weaknesses. You could have a plan. And then when it comes down to, once it comes down to that, after that, you got to just look and say, okay, when I'm accelerating, I'm looking to get better at acceleration. It's got to be getting stronger or, or force application in the general sense. But then even more specifically from that, when it comes down to like force applied in the presence of actual sprinting, like heavy loaded sprints, hill sprints, like, you got to improve your force application with your strides. And once you get stronger past a general sense, like you got to start to do some heavier loaded sprints and things like that. If you want to improve that type of stuff, uh, work on broad jumps, things like that. And then if it comes to top speed, the longer sprints, obviously, because you want to get top speed exposure, flying sprints, which we've discussed before on the show, where you're getting a buildup into a 10 or 15 yard top speed zone which that zone is going to be where you're working a lot on those mechanics and those higher velocities. And then maybe just like higher speed plyometrics or, or light bar speed work, things like that could be uh, helpful for that type of stuff. So just, I think identify your points that you want to get to and then map your plan out based on that was, was my overall premise. Yeah. I mean, that's tons of information. I think that's more than enough. Someone, a couple of people commented to that tweet and just asked, if you had standard um, standards for some of those, you know, 10 yard sprints and stuff, but I think you already touched on it to where there's so much information online that you should be able to find that without too much problem. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a big, cause not everyone uh, that listens is in the football world. If you're a baseball player and you go on like perfect game or other places, they're going to have the yeah. 10 yards, 10 yard splits that are like yep. going to give you an inclination of what the higher level athletes are running. But I could tell you if you're running anywhere between a one five and a one six, you're way above average and a 10 as a high school athlete. And if you're, you know, below a one eight, you'd really got to work on it. If you're not a lineman, if you're like a lineman or a bigger athlete in football, like a one eight is pretty solid. But um, if you're like a, a, a regular size average athlete, then that's kind of where I would let it sit in that sense. Cool. Okay. Um, all right. Next one I have is trust me when I say this four straight weeks of the same exercise done the right way with quality intent is greater than changing things up just because you feel you have to in order to be doing your job let athletes build routine and consistency don't take it from them hi there john is that your name (laughs) whatever are you currently listening to a marketing or business podcast then you should check us out add to the bone it's about digital advertising ad tech and programmatic advertising trust me one episode would already make you sound smart. I mean, smarter. Click this ad or search us up on your favorite podcasting app. Are you add to the bone? Then you should join us now. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing I see with that is a couple of things. One, too many athletes want to jump to the newest exercise. Uh, or there are some that want to do that. And I got to be honest with you, the ones that do want to do that usually aren't that like into the process of training. Um, You know, the other thing I think is sometimes coaches put too much pressure on themselves. They think that in order to be doing their job, they have to continue to be changing exercises and giving a lot of variability when ultimately you might be better off of keeping exercises pretty similar for a few weeks. And Mm -hmm. and I saw this, we have like two teams that train together on Thursday nights and there's like anywhere from 30 to 40 kids at the same time, every close to 40. And we have kept the same lifting routine for these last two weeks. And it's going to continue to stay the same because we're trying to get them in the habit of like knowing where to rotate because we're doing it in a station style. It's 45 minutes of just consistent work and rotating and going. 
Um, you know, you, I'd rather keep the exercises the same one, have them get better at the exercises, but two, have them get better at the routine they're trying to establish and, you know, everything like that. Uh, so I think, you know, that is more so where I'm coming with that is that people just put way too much pressure on themselves when it comes to that, um, you know, entire standpoint of, you know, I need to continue to change things. No, like if you leave things the same and you build better routines, um, and, and establish quality, you're doing a good job. And I think that's just kind of more so what I want to continue to drive home. Cause I put that pressure on myself sometimes and I've stopped doing it as much. So I think it's important to just make sure that, uh, we remind coaches of that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think we can, we can go to some questions cause, uh, we're going to put Kyle's probably going to be jumping on in like 10 minutes or so. So I want to cool. try to get to a couple questions. Um, all right. So let's see. I will start with, I had one I wanted to start with in particular. All right. So this one from Jace, I saw your post about training with surface instability as a small college basketball coach. I'm in charge of strength training. Uh, he obviously wishes they had a strength and conditioning coach, but they don't. So he wants to do the best he can. I try to research as much as possible. What are your feelings on things like standing on one leg with eyes closed, any transfer to ankle and leg stability? understand you're busy. If you don't have time, no problem. So yeah. So I'm happy that you're touching on this. I really wanted to touch on it too. Cause there was a really great thread from Brendan Thompson, who's been on the show uh, mm-hmm. before and, and a friend of mine who is a physical therapist and a really good speed coach uh, shout mm-hmm. out to him, but he made a good post about um, if you like close off some of the other senses, like you, you, you blindfold yourself. Um, it makes you have to lean on the other senses more. So from the standpoint of like, being some kind of benefit from a proprioception standpoint in like physical therapy settings, there could definitely be benefit. And I think that's like the biggest thing is the time and place. Um, one, I think people take it too far when it comes to um, just like doing it all the time, thinking it's specific to sport when, you know, no one is sitting here saying there's not benefits to proprioception. And when you're rehabbing, you know, there's going to be a need for things like that when it comes to like unilateral work or Airx pads or, or things of that nature. I think just people like me get pissed when people start to get way out of control and everyone's, you know, bouncing up and down on BOSU balls and going crazy um, in the sports setting. In the PT side of things, there is a benefit to doing it. There is a better way to do it. Like, I don't think you need to have guys jumping back and forth on BOSU balls and things like that. Um but, you know, you just got to, you know, look at it from the perspective of like, what am I trying to get out of it? If I'm in an early stages of a, of a lower extremity injury and I want to rehab and build back some proprioception, there could definitely be benefit uh, to it. I just think people get a little too out of control sometimes when it comes to what they're doing in the sports performance setting. I would tell you, if you're asking from a trend conditioning and speed standpoint, you're going to be better off or going to be fine if you're just doing, um, you know, single leg unilateral work, sprinting in multiple planes, jumping on one leg, landing on one leg, all those things that I always talk about. If you want to keep it basic and build power and, you know, balance and stability, that's going to relate closer to sport. I think that's your best bet in a rehabilitation setting, you know, um, or something early on or something you'd like to progress, there could be benefits to it. So I think that's kind of my well-rounded answer to that. Perfect. Yeah. Let's do one more and then, uh, I just want to give us a couple minutes to kind of get prepared for Kyle to come on. Yeah. Uh, all right. So from Michael, um, another situation without a strength coach. So he's a 48 year old high school football coach, and he's going to be also taking on the weight room next year. Um, he's doing um, football as well as other sports training, and that's going to include some female sports as well. And he just wants some potential resources just to, get a good baseline of being prepared and, and helping his 
players as best as he can. And he says, I don't want to be the old guy who has everyone doing old school football workouts. Yeah. So I think, man, like, you know, I'm going to throw out some names. I'm going to rapid fire people that I think yeah. are putting. Yeah. So Joe Aratari is like super consistent, shares so much um, and puts a lot of good stuff out there of what he's doing with his athletes. And he works with so many diverse types of athletes that like, I think he is a good person to follow because if you work with large teams, he's putting stuff out. He touches on things you, when you work with lesser, smaller groups or, or smaller amounts of athletes, talks about stuff with pro athletes. Like I, I liken what he does a lot to the stuff that I talk about. Cause our, we're very similar in a diverse amount of people and, and settings we work in. So he's a great follow. Like you like follow him, um, a fine podcast. Like I, I'm going to, I'm not biased. I'm saying this just because like, I do know that people have list, listened to this show and they say it helps them like listen to the pot muscles of management. Uh, listen to uh, Joe DeFranco's podcast is really good. He literally just dumps out information. Um, I know the Pacey performance podcast is another really good one that you can listen to. Um, you know, it puts out a lot of good information. Uh, people like Brendan are really good followers when it comes to like the mechanics of, of sprinting um, or, you know, he's getting the physical therapy stuff out there too. So follow people like him. Um, Cody Hughes is another good one who puts out information uh, and he's always evolving his thoughts on different things. You know, check him out. Uh, Joseph Potts is a good one. Follow him. Like there's so many people out there um, that are putting out quality information. And like, I'm just naming people that I know off the top of my head are consistently putting stuff out in videos. Uh, and Joe is always the first one that comes to mind because he's always, you know, churning out content. Um, you know, follow those types of people. Oh, uh, I can't forget Pat. Pat Basil um, is is amazing. And he just puts so much good content come, mm-hmm. out when it comes to like just breaking things down without video and actual just text type tweets. He's another great follow. Um, those guys are all putting out free newsletters and a lot of free content or, or, or things that you could pay for, but they're not that expensive and they could really help you. Like those are your resources. You want to be immersed in, um, you Joey Garasio at, at Florida Atlantic university is another good one. Uh, when it comes to what he's doing with his football athletes at the college level, um, you know, those are the types of people that you want to be getting information from and, and then just pay attention to who they're retweeting. Like if you follow me and I like something and I like a tweet, go check out that person and see what they're doing. Um, Like that's the best way to keep things, you know, your ear, you know, close to the pulse or your hand on the pulse of what's going on. Um, You know, you got to just stay up to date with that and and just utilize the free resources. But if someone has, you know, if it costs $19.99 for something that you can literally use and redefine your entire program, it's worth it to spend the money and make sure you're getting the right advice. So it's really cool that, you know, that, that coach is looking to um, get better and learn new things for their athletes. And I think, you know, that's a really good place to start. So that would be my take on that. Perfect. You think I caught to that pretty good? Yeah. I mean, again, being a little biased, I think I kind of have like just being, I've been around a lot of it because of working with you and obviously editing things and stuff, but it's if you surround yourself with, you, you know, yourself, your podcast, the ones you're mentioning, even just following your Twitter, if, if you start following, interacting with your tweets, next thing you know, their timeline is going to have other people close to you, like who also interact with you. I mean, there's so much information out there and he doesn't have to be, I mean, he doesn't have to pretend to be an expert, but you can soak up a lot of info just by kind of taking everything in, I think. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good segue to soak everything in that you can from this episode. There's going to be some things that are good for business, some things that are good for coaching, baseball, 
anything. We're going to touch on a lot. And it's a guy that's had a lot of success in building a business, a brand and being an effective coach. And I think you just got to really, um, you know, dive in and just enjoy it. And if there's resources mentioned, follow them. Uh, and, and we're going to have a really good time with this one. So uh, we're going to take a quick pause and we'll be back with uh, Kyle Bodie from Driveline. All right, guys, super excited to have Kyle Bodie back on the show. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. Really excited to have you. Hey, great to be on. Yeah, so I we'll, we'll start the, the show on a fun note. Um, you know, you commented on my Chipotle tweet <laughs> about right. my my the lack of of uh, food and substance in my bowl. That was like very agitating to me. So uh, we could talk talk about that a little bit. Any bad Chipotle experiences for you uh, recently? Oh, I mean, the double meat on the DoorDash. You never get it. You know, yeah. it's terrible. So the way you got to go meat is the burrito bowl and then the taco on the side. Um, it costs less and you actually get, I think you get more. So in my opinion, that's, that's the move. Yeah. People said that either taco tortilla, something on the side, just make it yourself. Um, yeah, no, it, it, I went there yesterday in person. I had my redemption story. Um, you know, I was like, you know what? No mobile order today. I will wait in the line. And they just, it was like double the amount of food when you're watching them actually put it in the bowl. It's just, it's an amazing psychological event that occurs. Well, it's and, almost like that has, you know, carry over to what we're going to talk about, about baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're ever getting double meat, you just say the, the regular meat first. And then after they scoop it, then you say, actually, I want double meat. Yeah, you got to do that. And then online, yeah. obviously, you can't do that. Exactly. It's amazing the amount of people that chimed in on that with advice for me. <laughs> um, Kyle, I used, if you saw Chad Longworth was like, yeah, there's never enough cheese. I tell them cheese and I told them more cheese after they put it on. He's a big cheese yeah. guy, apparently. Same, same. I go, I go like two, three, four times the cheese. Yeah, I said, yeah. you know, the what I've settled on is like put as much cheese on there, like put a, an amount that would seem ridiculous to you. <laughs> yeah, I do, and want, I'm like, all right, I, I need, I need more than that. You yeah, know? like I don't want to see what's underneath it. Like, hundred percent, just snow covering it. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So we, I, I was talking about this with Mike before. Um. You know this whole thing came about because of a tweet about uh, I basically was saying how, you know, if you do a good job with your athletes, they almost, you know, become like assistant coaches for you. If, if I could summarize it like that, um, you know, you brought up a really good point about coaches kind of getting uh, leery about, you know, giving away too much because of the competitive side of business when it comes to things. And I thought it was really interesting. And uh you, you shared some some thoughts on it, and I want to open that up to you again because that was kind of you know what inspired us having you on the show again. Um, you've obviously grown driveline to the point where, and I, I was telling Mike about this before. You know, professional organizations are hiring employees from you know driveline all the time. Like, how, what what has that process been like to you? Like, what have you learned through that whole thing when it comes to you know helping build a culture where people can kind of have an impact when they're gone, everything kind of keeps moving. Yeah, it's, it's tough, you know, to address the first part, you always feel, I think every business owner, including yourself and me, and um, you have that fear that giving stuff away negates your competitive advantage, you know, but then as you know, as you start to, to do it, it becomes empowering, right? It's the best form of marketing, but still it's in you to like, you to protect what's yours. You know, I think it's only human nature, but you realize by growing, you know, freedom is, is, is how you grow the business. Um, and then as far as like employees getting poached, I mean, that happens all the time and, you know, it's very annoying, but the only way to, to, 
grow your business and make it sustainable is to have a good training program, you'd have a good internship program, and to make sure that, you know, you're training everyone in a short enough time and, you know, reasonable enough, and then retaining your best talent at the top of the funnel, you know, with compensation or equity or yeah. and so forth. And, you know, that's just, um, it's very difficult to do. It's very, it's very difficult. It's frustrating at the beginning, you know, when teams are just taking from you. Um, but then you realize, you know, on the other hand, um, if teams didn't do that and, and it didn't affect the biggest, the highest level, then, you know, what the hell's the point of the whole, the whole thing, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I, I actually thought about it the other day. Like, what does it say about a place if people aren't taking their people right. or trying to, right? Like, what does that say about, like, are you having an impact or as big of one as you might think you are? Yeah. I mean, we can have a hot take. Like how many, how many fucking go to people are working? In oh, we had to bring up the go to people. I actually I have to, I it's, it's really funny. Mike, do you know, do you know what go to is? I'm not familiar. Okay. Oh, You're lucky. You're lucky. Yeah, I was just <laughs> gonna, I was just gonna say that. So um they basically on the strength and conditioning side of things think that like there is an exact way to move that all of them go to meaning the greatest of all time athletes. Um, you know, there there's exactly one way that they move, and if you move that way, you won't get hurt. Uh, and injuries won't happen and that conventional strength conditioning has everything wrong and we're all just ticking time bombs waiting to hurt kids and athletes and they are the most insufferable people i think on social media like they have to be up there when it comes to performance world stuff um and i i literally one day just searched Goda on my search bar and blocked every single account because they're just <laughs> that bad um but that that's Goda. kyle it's actually funny i was trying to go back and find your response to a tweet. And I saw you uh, retweeted someone talking about Goda. And I was like, oh, I didn't know uh, Goda has kind of spread itself into non-strength conditioning coaches knowing about who they are, which is unfortunate that that has happened. But uh, when you behave like they do, I guess you get some publicity, right? Yeah, yeah. They were trolling my friend who (laughs) used to work at P3 and then now works at UC Santa Barbara. I think he's a really good strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Um, He's very good. Yeah. I saw that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You see the organizations that get attention and and, and have actual employees drawn from them and and consulting and contract work done, you know, whether it's Cressy or us or, you know, other ones like that's a, that's what's actually shaping baseball. So I try to remember that when, you know, teams every year just coming for our employees, um, you know, which just like develop your own employees. (laughs) You know, I didn't, I didn't steal a bunch of driveline employees to build the reds when I was there. I trained, I trained my own. Yeah, and, and another good segue. Uh, correct if I'm wrong. You said let's talk about why pro ball sucks. That's right. <laughs> I want to talk about it. I like. I listen. Whatever you're able to or willing to explain about your experiences, why you left, all that, because um, you had some some pretty good success with what you were able to do uh, in your time with the Reds. I guess maybe we'll take a step back from that. Um, what had that come about? Um, you know. What was that process like for you, you know, seeing like, hey, I've thought about this before, like if there ever came a time where an organization, whether it's a a power five football team, uh, whatever it is, like had interest in having me go there, like how do I juggle having a business and doing that? Like what was that process like for you? Yeah, fortunately, having done consulting for the past couple of years prior to that, you get a sense for what you can tolerate, you know, when you're gone and and what systems work and what don't, you know, Um, but it's like. Uh, I think like Ben Horowitz says it best, you know, there's no way to know who's going to be a good CEO or founder of a company because uh, until you do it, you don't have any experience, you know? So a lot of it, you have to go in unknown, um, but you do have to have systems and how you train people and your, your players and, 
And that, that really makes it a lot easier. So when things go wrong, you have uh, at least a consistent system to fall back on. Um, yeah. And so then going into the Reds, it was like, had a couple offers and they offered the most control, you know, and vision to, to, to allow my vision to come to fruition. And it did under that GM. Uh, and that GM and that farm director both quit. And then new GM came in, you know, director of player development, who was always there. I basically had more control. And in my opinion, like it's their right to run the organization the way they want. Um, and that the way they want to run the organization just doesn't drive with my vision for player development and how we should work with the players and get them better and not care about priority players. And then we should integrate technology and like actually run the business. So, you know, don't use infinite phone calls and text messages and WhatsApp. Like everything is consolidated in one area. Uh, and that was just an unpopular opinion and seen as, um, you know, just too organizational or something, I guess, or I'm not quite sure, um, but the vision wasn't, you know, aligned and that's okay. So then just uh, left and that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And, and of course the assholes doing victory laps saying, I told you this stuff wouldn't last very long. This guy barely even made it however long with the reds. The, the house is falling down. People are starting to real no, like it's you decided to leave. Like I yeah, it just piss me off. I, it, oh yeah, it's fine. It's just extinction burst is what I call it. You know, it's like if uh that's the case, then why are like people are getting hired all the time to run things? And at the end of the day, like if you just want to talk about like results, look at the Reds major league team and <laughs> the minor league numbers have not have not been good either. And like that's not vindication or anything like that but the point is it's like there's there's a right right way to run an organization and it's pretty obvious and it doesn't have anything to do with driveline really it just has everything to do with how you should run a business in an organization not just baseball but how you would run any type of organization and if you don't pay attention to those principles and train your employees and hold them accountable then you're gonna, not going to have results and i think that's what you see in most of the organizations and and i was lucky enough to learn from two of the best in my opinion organizations that run you know great baseball organizations uh, you find out that how they run the organization is, is super similar to how you run a, a very good business. And so um, it's not, not a surprise that teams like the Astros and the Dodgers have built sustainable winners because they know how to build organizations and run them. Uh, Tampa Bay race too. Um, and it, yeah, it has a yeah. lot less and, to do And if it doesn't work, if it, do. if it doesn't work, I don't think uh, Rob Hill would still be doing what he's doing with the Dodgers. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. There's <laughs> Rob, you know, Sam with the Yankees, um, you know, Cubs, Casey Jacobson, you have people in power that are everywhere and uh, it's only going to grow, you know? So that's, that's what I see, but you, you're going to have backlash. You're going to have people that think they, that the old way is the best way to do it, or the progress is doesn't make sense, or these things don't. Work. And then you know, so my point is, is like that's fine. They should be allowed to do it their way. They should be allowed to fail. And and the best way to start progress is to give them exactly what they want and watch them fail. And then that's just how it is. You know, I, I'm very confident in how how to run a team, and that's why I've talked about being a GM or AGM. Like that's the direction I want to go. Um, because, you know, I feel extremely confident in how to run the organization. Do I know everything? You know, certainly not. You know, you're going to need a good partner um, to to move along, as you know, right, whether it's Mike with you and Mike with me. Um, you, know, you need that. So wherever you go, you, you need that with you to cover all the holes and learn. But as far as directionally how to build a sustainable talent, uh, pipeline of talent, yeah, I feel very good about it. And then you see the best teams, whether it's the Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, you know, they're just – it's a constant supply of great players. Uh, from all from the first round of the 40th round. And I think that's uh, that's the target we should be shooting for. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. When you look at the best teams, the way they do it, it's like they can turn out prospects for trades. They can, uh, whether it's like you look at a team like the Dodgers that is trading prospects for uh, players in, in their uh, you know playoff runs and World Series runs every year, or a team like the Rays who can't afford to you know hand out bigger contracts to some of their players. 
you know, there's the next man up thing in terms of who they're able to develop. It, it's just, it, it's startling. Even like the, the, you mentioned the Astros too, like it was being talked about, like you lose this guy, this guy comes up, like uh, this guy gets hurt. The next, it's just, it's, it's pretty amazing. The depth um, that a lot of these teams are able to have, like even, you know, I'm a big Yankee fan, like the, the pitching depth that they've been able to uh, amass in the past, like three or four years is remarkable. Um, yeah, the they're getting a lot out of the depth of pitching though. is scary. You know, I was just yeah. talking to a, coach a big league coach the other day and he said we would play them the yankees and you know big league spring training games and come here comes the sixth seventh eighth inning right here here come all the the jabronis here come the jicks you know the just in case guys the minor league guys covering you know these guys are better than the back end under bullpen you know the 22 year old from junior college throwing 97 not even on anyone's prospect list and he's just filling in games that don't matter you know it's like that's that's pretty impressive and that's i really think the yankees have done it i think they've done the best job in my opinion of building an insane group of right-handed relievers that can come up um, and contribute at the big league level starters too, you know, um, whether it's some guys that like weren't on prospect lists, like Ken Waldachuk is a really good example. Um, and just Michael King, obviously who's in the big leagues. Well, the N- nasty line. Nestor. Yes. Nestor. Yeah. And so do, all, all ways of doing it. Right. Um, but I think the fastest way you can make an impact is to develop a ton of power right-handed relievers. It's pretty yeah. simple to do that. And yeah. I think the Yankees have done it and you're starting to see them a in the big leagues, but then also B being traded for other pieces. Um, and that's, that's great for the player, obviously. And it's great for the organization to build that kind of talent. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So I really think when you look at the Yankees or when you just look at the minor league numbers for pitching, the Yankees stand out uh, tremendously, them and Tampa Bay, for very different reasons. The Yankees pitchers walk a lot of guys, but they also strike out a zillion guys and they have the best stuff. Tampa Bay doesn't walk a lot of guys. They still strike out a decent amount, um, but they're managing power, uh, contact a little bit different. Um, And I think both strategies work. I think they're very different ways to do it, Um, but you see uh, both of them are developing. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it's obvious that you got to care about the first player and the last player. And I think both the Yankees and the, uh, and the, and the Rays and the Astros and Baltimore do a really good job of that. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, you mentioned trading. It's almost like, you know, in feudal times when, um, you know, a certain uh, village or, or country or whatever it is, like could develop a, a commodity or good or something that they had a lot of, like, and they could just use it to get other things that they needed. Um, like if you could develop, you know, a lot of right-handed pitching to the point where you don't really have a need for all of what you're developing, you spin it around for things you don't have. Um, exactly. And I think that's, you know, pretty interesting from that sense, like how much more you can improve your organization if you even get good at developing one thing. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what I talked to some Yankees execs a while ago about it, you know, and um, it's not just, they're a large market team and they're going to buy players on free agency. Maybe not as much as Yankee fans would like, you know, but that's inherently there are going to be roster limitations because they are going to go after the best free agents. Sometimes there's not room, um, but that doesn't mean you don't develop minor league talent, like because there's teams like the Rockies and Diamondbacks and A's that just don't develop talent well for whatever reason, you know? So then you know, like, I have like five guys that are 97 with a nasty slider and you have Sonny Gray, you have, you know, Todd Elton, you have whatever, you have this, this free, this um, superstar that we want. And we'll trade you all this cost control talent for a half a year or a year and a half of this player Rizzo type stuff, you know, um, to fill in our team. And by developing elite pitching, you've somehow filled the third base role. You filled the first base role. You know, you've developed, you've got a great hitter, for example. So they don't um, even have to give their best prospects up. It's crazy. Like, exactly. Like the, the Gallo trade, like they gave up almost like someone that no one ever heard of. And that's right. yeah, you don't see is. them trade. Uh, you don't see them trade their best pitchers. You don't see them trade. Um, you know their best. Their best players. 
uh, in the minors, right? And uh, that's just how it is. So, you know, you're always going to get the second tier of players, unless it's like a really big deal, like Blake Snell, right, with the Rays and all that. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the way to build a sustainable winner, you know? And then you see teams that are really poor in the minor leagues, and when they trade, they have to trade their best players, right? The Yankees don't have to trade their best players because the second tier of players are would be the best players in other organizations, right? Uh, but yeah. we don't develop any talent like the Reds previously, like when they trade for player, they have to trade Josiah Gray. It's like, that's not good. Josiah Gray is one of their best prospects. You know, yeah. he's, he's a big league pitcher. Um, that's not, that's not great. You don't want to be trading your tier, your A tier players, unless you're going to get, you know, unless it's a really great deal. You want to be trading the players of depth that end up being A players for other teams, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about like, you know, I'll, I'll talk, I'll mention, you know, a, a guy that we, we both know, Albertus, right? Um, I did some stuff with him last year, like remote stuff. And he was trying to explain, I forget, we were, we were having, he was having arguments with some of his um, minor league coaches about the running they were doing. And he's, you know, you know him way better than I do, but he's a very smart uh, person. And he brought up like all these crazy numbers about like, we do all this running from this part of the season to the end. And here's the difference in what our pitchers do. It accounts for this much war. Like he presented this entire argument as to, from a financial standpoint, why running a lot is not good. Um, and you look at it from the SNC side, like, okay, this is why you shouldn't be doing this type of stuff. Um, you know what, like organizations that are like always have their hand on the pulse. Like we, it, we went through that era three years ago where like all these coaches off Twitter were getting hired. Right. Like, we're, how many organizations do you think actively have someone in their, you know, hierarchy that's like out there looking for people like that? I think it's, yeah, I think the, if you're not doing it, you know, you're not trying to develop talent internally. So I think all the best organizations have someone that's reading all the best research and, and trying to hit them up. I know you've been hit up of you know, Nunzio Sonori and all these guys that I respect, you know, they're getting hit up by teams and they, and they reach out to me. How do you protect? Cause you don't want to give away everything, you know, to a team for nothing, but you yeah. do want to, Network, you know, so there's a delicate balance. Um, yeah, when it came, Albertus is a funny mention. You know, my first in spring training, I'm sorry, instructs with the Reds. I felt that we did too much running as well. And so when I spoke to the strength coordinator, I was like, well, I guess we're going to get into it right now. You know, um, and I was kind of fearing the talk because I didn't want to start off as a combative person. You know, I'm new to the organization. I have a reputation, you know. Um, and then I spoke to him and it was very direct, very, very critical conversation. But at the end of the day, he made a lot of really good points that I hadn't considered. And I made some points and then we were able to come to a compromise, <clears throat> you know, where uh, the running was changed and the amount of cardio and, and so forth. And we incorporated some skill stuff in that. So you end up having that great conversation. And that was so valuable. His name's Alex Puskerich. You know, he lives in Vegas now. He's doing his own thing. Um, guys like Will Gilmore and Morgan Gregory that are all not with the Reds um, anymore, somewhat not coincidentally. Um, they're all great people and talking to them about how to develop stuff. We had, that was the thing I was talking to Morgan Gregory, who was a big league strength coach. And then with, at the beginning when he was the director of, or sorry, the coordinator, the minor league coordinator, and, um, he's with Philadelphia now and he's, he's great. And what I told him, I said, you know, it was really tough is you don't, it's pretty rare in professional baseball and generally to have a bunch of coordinators and a bunch of people at that middle management level that get together that are all from very different backgrounds and they all have a unified idea. They actually really care about getting the athletes better. They're not necessarily focused on their career. They're not necessarily focused on minimizing risk. They're focused on getting the players better and having tough conversations with each other. But at the end of the day, we all I have confidence and had confidence in every single one of them that we wanted to get every player better from Hunter Green to Nick Lodolo to the Albertuses of the world, right? For us, 
would be Jake Gozo, Carson Spires, Braxton Roxby. Um, and that was really unique. You don't find that a lot in pro ball. And um, it was just a pleasure to work with those guys. And I think the results really reflect it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. Like uh, I'll, I'll mention a guy that I just don't top my head as an actual like example of someone that I've interacted with. Uh, you have Matt Tallarico with the Yankees who is yeah. just all over the internet trying to find things to, to share. Um, you know, I, I get a text from, from Kevin Poppy last year and he's like, is this your facility? And it's like a picture of a sprint, uh, a screenshot of a video um, of a, of someone doing a sprint or a facility. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, where'd you, where'd you get that from? And he's like, Oh, uh, one of my guys with the Yankees double a just sent this out saying they want them doing it during the off season. And I was like, oh, how the hell do they get their hands on that? And I think it was just Tallarico saw it and just sent it uh, to, to them. And I think when you have coaches like that, it kind of, just pushes everyone forward because they're actually just on their own, you know, looking to, like you said, networking people that they know, like, where can I, what can I do to expand um, the knowledge that we're presenting? And you also mentioned like protecting uh, your knowledge or not just giving stuff away for free. Like you can't even control what happens sometimes. Like I had no idea that happened. Um, and if you put stuff out there, it kind of just is part of the territory. Right. Yeah. that's good though. In that case, you know, players are seeing that they're going to, and some will find out where it is. It's like, Oh, you know, he's in New York and we can train there. So that's a form of networking, you know, and it's, for sure. Yeah. It's a good thing. So like when we, I would see people doing our drills or we would play other teams that are doing like players are doing the drills that are, you know, from driveline and you can tell that it's either they got the free book or whatever, but it's like, man, that's just the message is spreading. You know? And that's the thing is that's, you know, when the people are saying, Oh, it's a house of cards and it's going down. But then like, if you just go to like every, like half the minor league games or more you go to, you're going to see guys throwing weighted balls against the wall. Yeah. So it's like, it's, uh, it's pretty obvious what's happened here. You know, um, it's not just me, right. It's people like Ron Wolforth and Tom house. And it's a whole movement of actually caring about that. Um, and that's how, that's my opinion about the hitters, you know, they're changing all this stuff about the hitters and all, you know, like the hitters are, bad and whatever. And it's like, you know, the pitchers have just adopted technology and they've adopted um, new ahead. strategies and the hitters haven't. Yeah. And that's all there yeah. is to it. And, and Tallarico, I think is a great example of someone on the offensive side who's done a hell of a job because when you face his teams, when you face the Yankees teams, I mean, their basically only technique is very different. It's, it's normal in college. It's a very well accepted in college. And that's how you do it. Um, but it's very different for pro ball. It's, it's labeled as college. It's labeled as ticky tack, but those dudes get bags. You know, you really have to focus on holding runners and you really, it was a good challenge for our guys because our, we, we've really focused on holding runners. We really focus on controlling the running game. And then when you play teams like the Yankees and all they're trying to do is get extra bags, they're always trying to go first to third. You know, Tyler Rico really cares about, you know, pushing the limits of how many extra bags you can get. And they play aggressive, you know, the minors, they don't care if they get thrown out by 20 feet, you know, they, they are there to to learn to be aggressive and to put pressure on you. Uh, it makes you better. And it's fun to watch, man. I mean, it's a, it's a blast to play teams like that. And honestly, teams like the Royals, like, because the Royals care about, you know, all the small stuff, stealing bags, putting pressure on you, bunting. And, it, you know, you can make fun of all that, but at the end of the day, it's part of the game uh, and they play extremely hard. And so that's the fun thing is when you have teams like the Royals and the Yankees come to mind where they care about players up from the top to the bottom of the organization. Um, it's just fun because you you know that they care about every single person giving max effort and uh, it turns into a real game, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. It was actually the, the Yankee thing where you mentioned uh, base stealing, uh, they saw how much success Tallarico was having with the minor leagues. And that was what really prompted them to have him have a bigger role with the big league club this year. Um, I think it was Lindsay Adler wrote a whole piece on, it. I took like a lot of um, pieces of it. I made like a little thread on like, you know, sprinting being more prominent, um, you know, at the professional level. And it's refreshing too, because you even like, you see like Donaldson was quoted how many times in the article saying like, Oh, I I've never thought about doing things this way or, um, you know, I love the point about like, hey, 
we're going to stay healthier because we're going to actually do this type of stuff in our training and get our mechanics better and be exposed more um, to that type of stuff and knock wood. But like the Yankees have been, you know, pretty beat up the last couple of years and they're off to a, you know, a great 30 game start relatively healthy. You know, it's not all because they sprint more, but like, it's refreshing to see that like a club is looking at it that way. And it's also just interesting that he had to have the success with the minor league system first. Like it wasn't like a, trickle down type of thing it was kind of like it started here and had to work its way up which is yeah. that more common that that it, it oh, goes yeah. that way that's how you have a lot of success you know you're gonna have your catalysts in the big leagues like josh donaldson you know his hitting technique is, is unorthodox right launch angle bat speed he cares a lot about mechanics and that can have an effect you, you do need those people 100 percent um but then it's all from the bottom mostly from the bottom up because those guys turn into big leaguers and that's normal for them you know so for sprinting when we did a contract with the dodgers you know, we, we were able to design a lot of the stuff and some of the strength and conditioning coaches pushed back and they said, hey, we need some running in here. We need sprinting. And I was like, you know, uh, why, you know, we're doing concept two rowing. We're challenging their anaerobic, you know, aerobic neuromuscular, you know, capacities. And he's like, oh, no, well, here's the reasons why we need like locomotive training for this reason when they're running and sprinting. And, and I was like, oh, man, you know, I never considered that, you know, and stuff that like uh, – not even just like seeing running as a challenge to the cardio system, but in, indeed like a way to get uh, improve a skill, you know, and to stay healthier. And so that was really cool. And then we did that with the Reds too. And what I think is really important and I wanted to get into is you have to help the strength coaches. So at the levels, the strength coaches at like a ball level at whatever, very inherently challenged because the game is about baseball. The game is not about lifting weights. Right. And as a result, the strength coaches power can be diminished in favor of the game which is not good, right? You need to get the players better and it has to come from all angles. So what I made happen was I really, I, even if I didn't like the strength condition with the Reds, I would still do this, but I actually really liked it. I thought it was really, really good. The high performance department, uh, they would do, you know, weekly or bi-weekly retests of counter movement jumps. You know, the strength coaches would travel with the force plates, would do a shitload of work. Um, and it was on the coach. I made it on the pitching coaches. It's their job to make sure that the players give full effort and that we celebrate um, improvements. We celebrate that's improvements so on big. single leg work. Oh, we celebrate so improvements in counter movement jump. And then if they miss, you know, they miss the force plate retest or whatever retest, whether it's grip retests or IR retests or whatever, you know, you gently remind them. You say, hey, you know, we don't miss retests. You know, good team. This stuff matters to us. We make decisions based on this information, which we do. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, second it's time, so, it's so we drop the hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Second time you drop the hammer and let them know a little more sternly. And then third time, you know, you just start taking playing time away from them. And it had to get to that level for some of those guys. And you have to help your strength coaches out. And then as a result, we saw some really huge gains. And then when those, when you tie that information to increase velocity, what some of our guys wore the aura ring. And what I did is graph recovery scores and sleep scores versus injury time and stuff plus gains. And you saw a very strong relationship. And so it's like, you know, they've been told since they were nine years old to go to bed and sleep more. And it's better for you. So they're just inherently going to ignore that. But then when you start showing them the sleep scores, you start showing them the data. And that's the power of, of data and analytics is to show that you're not full of shit. You know, like these things actually do impact you. You can cite studies all you want. And that helps a little. It helps the nerds. Uh, the players, but when you start showing them like, Hey, this jabroni that was got paid $5,000 and is passing you up on the prospect list. And here's why he's more physical and these things, he sleeps better and he's just getting better. And that's a big reason for it. it starts to starts to spark a fire. You know um, once the non-prospect passes up the big prospect, that's when you, you see change. And that's the cool thing. And I'm sure you've seen it in your gym too. When you have these uh, high school kids that get cut from their teams or they're seen as non-prospects, once they start, seeing huge differences, their coaches start changing their tune and the other players start to pay more attention. So, so to kind of throw it back to you. I'm assuming you've seen a lot of that, whether it's on the football, baseball side uh, as yeah. well, right? 
Yeah, no, it, it's also like it, we, we deal with a lot of hockey players, too. And just right. to, to speak to your first point about, you know, the power of a coach um, that advocates. So so how I pretty much got started was taking this strength and conditioning uh, job for this junior hockey organization. Um, and basically, you know, my facility is located in an ice rink. Um, so, like, that's the unique part about it. But uh, if you want to talk about, like, the cultural side of things from that standpoint was – you know, they had a certain way of doing things for, for years. And they, they, they're like the Alabama of junior hockey. Like they win, we've won back-to-back championships, four regular season championships in a row. Like the whole idea of if you recruit at a really high level, you can get away with a lot of stuff like that type of thing. Um, and like they, after a year, a year or two years, you know, the, the, the brain trust that runs the organization from the hockey and personnel side you know, had that had done it for years, started to see that like, Hey, some of the stuff that this guy is doing makes sense. Um, like we trusted him, but they were like way more involved in terms of like, what are we doing? When are we doing it? Um, all that type of stuff. And like, they had some old habits that they were into with like the running they were doing throughout the week during a season, you know, our guys are on the ice, you know, five or six times a week, six times a week for, for eight months out of the year. Um, you know, and I think that once we had, you know, that coach on board, to say, okay, like you want to run it a certain way. And like the keys were fully handed to me and the players knew that like that the full trust from those coaches were, you know, in the strength conditioning and that like we were reducing injuries because we were worked like how we were going about things. I had them get rid of the running. I was like, guys, we need to cut uh, a lot of this stuff out. Like the, the uh, impacts are just killing us when it comes to lower extremity injuries. And you start to see those, like you mentioned data, right? Like they, the coaches started to see that our injuries went way down and I, I could, tell them to go outside and climb trees at this point and they would do it like the coach getting behind it and seeing it really reflect men a lot. And, you know, if a, if a player is ever being difficult and getting something done, you know, those coaches are like, Hey, you know, we have a pretty big, you know, role in you getting a college commitment as a junior hockey player and going to play high level division one. And, you know, you're not taking this stuff seriously. We know one that it's, really going to help you. And two, you better take it. Like you said, holding the pitchers accountable for retests. Um, having that support system is just tremendous uh, when it comes to that type of stuff. And the last point you mentioned was like them seeing other athletes have success with it. Like if you have a kid that I'll use a vertical jump as an example, jumps a 20 and, you know, a year and a half later, they're jumping a 28, you know, the, the genetically more gifted athlete that jumps a 26 in the beginning that maybe still jumping a 26 because they didn't put the work in is going to see that and say, Oh, I, I, this, this stuff probably works. I better start to do it. Um, but like, I can't tell you how much easier our lives are when a sport coach, you know, supports it and makes the athletes realize how important it is. Like it, it just, it's tremendous for that. Yeah, you tweeted about a month, you know, if there's any players, they're not lazy, you know, but humans, it's hard. Like being a professional athlete or on the path to being a professional athlete, it's difficult. And as a business, being a business owner is difficult. And you know this too. This is why you need a partner. There are days, I know you're a hard worker. I've known you since you were, you know, had nothing. And you've known me since Finland Driveline was very small too. Yeah. You know, there are days that you want to go home and there are days you do go home and give up hundred percent. You you can admit it. I can admit it, you know. Um, but when you have a partner that's there that holds you accountable, um, it just makes Or even it, it good, good employees. Like you realize you got to, like, you know, I can, I just, you know, left the facility tonight and I have two guys there that are, running things. And I know that I just, you know, you could ask Mike I, in between pausing the segment we recorded and uh, you know, you coming on, I was like, Hey, I got to get to uh, a phone call real quick from the facility. I'm like, Oh shit. Like what happened? Like what, what, what chaos erupted while uh, I was gone? And it's like, no, I know that 
you know, the, the person that I have in charge there can handle it and do what they have to do and allow me to go do these types of things to help grow the business and, and do whatever. It's really important. Yeah. Well, they want to fit in strength stuff, and they, but the players are going to always go to a corner where they can bitch. You know, they're going to go to the coach and be like, oh, lifting sucks and it's impacting me. And once, if you have a unified front of saying like, I don't give a shit, you know, like you have, this is what we do. I believe in it. And even if I didn't believe in it, it doesn't matter. This is who we are as, as Cincinnati Reds. This is who we are. We're a physical team. We play physical and these are the expectations. And once the players have nowhere to go to complain, they stop complaining. You know, that's just how it works. Um, and so you have to have that. And so when these dads and coaches on Twitter who like downplay it or whatever, you know, they want strength and conditioning. They want players to be fast and big, but they don't want it to impact their sport. Right. And then all you got to do is like you guys link Bill Belichick, you link Nick Saban, you link all this crap. But what does Nick say? Who does Nick Saban say the most important coaches in Alabama? He's a strength coach. Yeah. He's, you know, he gets, he gets paid ridiculously. He gets paid more than most Division One you know, football coaches. And yep. do you think he does it because like he likes looking at guys that are strong or he likes the weight room because it's cool? No, the game's a physical game, you know? And uh, that's just, that's just the truth, you know? And you see these, um, extreme performance gains by having it and still very underrated but you know if strength and lifting takes away from the sport that's when you'll find out if the person really believes in it and and i do you know if we can i advocated for keeping guys on extended and putting them in strength camp and taking away innings from them and that was a really big shock to the strength coaches they're like oh what you you're you're good with it i'm like dude if you and our physical therapist our, our, our medical team was on board too guys would come in with shoulder issues and they would look at their high performance stuff and be like Bro, you bench you bench one ten, and you have to row ninety five, and you don't row, and you can't do chin ups, and your shoulder strength is shit. Like, of course you're having problems. You know, you need to yeah. you need to get big, you need to get stronger. So when the doctor's telling you, the physical therapist is telling you, your pitching coach is telling you, the strength coach doesn't have to say shit. He just has to be there. <laughs> you know. Now, obviously, I want him talking, but at this point, the strength coach can just sit sit there and be like, yeah, you know, this is what they all said. And once you have that unified front, man, I mean, crazy stuff happens. And we saw it with the Reds. It was so much fun. Uh, that's the thing I miss the most um, with those guys. Uh, but I know that we, we can do it again. You know, it's, it's definitely possible to, to, to build that again. You just have to hold high expectations. And as you know, sometimes when you hold employees to high expectations, it's, it, they, they fail. And then you need to correct them. And that can be very difficult. And that it's work. It's not, it's not a place we go to have fun. You know, it's a place that we, we hope we have fun, but it's a place we're trying to win the World Series. You're trying to develop the best athletes. And excellence, excellence is not easy. Excellence requires a lot of accountability and excellence is difficult. And that's okay. You should know going in that there are going to be difficult days and, and be okay with it. Yeah, like my one of my favorite expressions, simple is not easy. Uh, you mentioned before, like integrated systems, communication, everything kind of being run like a business. And you would say, okay, that makes things simple, but getting accomplishing that isn't easy because- there are going to be roadblocks with conflicting thoughts or just establishing systems in general. But, you know, if you establish systems early on, it just, you need to, like, I was, that was the biggest piece of advice. I remember getting, um, you know, doing a certification six years ago with uh, Joe DeFranco. And one of his biggest pieces of advice was there's going to be a time if you have any success where you're going to grow and you're going to, you know, triple quadruple clients and have employees. And if you don't develop systems early on, there's no way you're going to scale anything. And, and it's just, it's going to be impossible. And that was kind of back to what we started the conversation with, you know, building, whether it's employees, athletes, like, you know, explaining the process to them and getting them to understand it. So there is a system in place and a known way of doing things. Um, it's going to make it easier to scale, which is just favorable because you can spread, you know, what you're doing to more people. And that's kind of what you're in it for to begin with. Um, all right. So yeah, three minutes left. I wanted to ask one question. I want to turn it on you. you know? yep. So my goals are pretty clear. I want to be a GM or an AGM. You know, that's why I'm, I'm build these systems. I think, I think that 
I've, I've proven it. You know, I'm not saying I deserve it. I think I've proven that, you know, that I, this could work and this is what I want to talk about. What's next for you, man? What, what, what are the big systems you're trying to build? What are the biggest difficulties you've run into? And what are the next steps of evolution as I've seen your business grow from a dude on Twitter to, to someone that's, you know, training and, I, and, and training more people and, and building those systems. So what are the roadblocks you're seeing and what are the things that you would give uh, opinions to new business owners and that want to get into it and build and expand their systems? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, yeah, so I've gone from when I met you, a one-man show to uh, about to hire a fourth trainer next month, um, which has been, you know, I'm still only 27 years old. It's been a whirlwind process for me. Uh, I think just the first thing I would say is that, like, I've kind of started to get into the whole, like, all right, this is real. Like, you know, stop having the shocked feeling like this is happening and it should be happening because, you know, you're doing a good job and, like, let's keep running with it. Um, Systems-wise, that that is the next thing that I want to make sure that we continue to solidify because as more and more athletes come in uh, to the facility and we're expanding where, you know, we have stuff going on in a second place now. Um, you know, I want to make sure that that stuff is in place and that every person that comes in uh, as a coach knows that this is the way we do things. We have our testing process. We have how we, um, you know, track all of the weights athletes are doing and, the, and all of that type of stuff, because I, I will say this and I tweeted it out the other night after I had a couple too, too many drinks uh, that I do want to get in. I, I would like to be involved in pro ball in some way um, at some point. I, honestly, pro sports in general, like to me, ultimately a, a really big goal of mine would be to work for or work with one of my childhood favorite teams, whether it's the New York Giants, New York Yankees, like I want to Rutgers football, whatever it is, I want to get there someday. And you mentioned systems. Like I know that I have to have everything in place when it comes to being able to step back from challenger strength a little bit and, and allow the people that are there to, to kind of take things forward. So. Uh, eventually that is a goal of mine. I, I someday want to get into, you know, that realm, whether it's, you mentioned consulting stuff, um, you know, being mentioned in the, you know, Yankees player development book a couple of years ago is still surreal to me and something that I hope I can expand upon someday in, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and last piece of advice would be, I think kind of the whole theme of what we talked about is even if you're just starting out as a coach, have systems built in place, um, you know, have a way of doing things. It's going to make you a more effective coach and allow you to, you know, expand your brand and what you're trying to do overall and impact more people. So uh, I think that was my best way of answering that in only a couple of minutes, but I want to thank you um, for coming on as always. It's, it's inspiring conversation makes me think, and it, it's really enjoyable. And I know everyone's going to love it when it goes out. So thank you for, for coming on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Jerry, man. We'll do, maybe we'll work together in pro ball someday and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go from there. It'll be great. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on. See you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry DeFilippo, signing off from the show that's changing how we view sports performance, training, and business.